So uh, David is going to bring us some reflections on, I, I, I think, the similarities and differences, maybe, and, yeah. and how these things might work out. All of this uh, in 20 minutes. <laughs> so can we pray for you? That's all right. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for David, and we thank you for the, the time and effort and uh, thought that he's put into this. We pray that you would add your spirit to this, uh, and that you would inspire us all through what he has to say this morning. We pray that your blessing would be upon his words. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Oh, that's loud. Probably want to come down from there. I'm going to tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a man named Abraham. And Abraham was promised that he'd have a son. And uh, it seemed unlikely. He was a pretty old chap at the time, but uh, he had faith, and in time he did have a son, and then his son had a son, his son had a son, there were 14 generations, and uh, there was a king born of that line named David. And then David had a son, and then David's son had a son, and there were 14 more generations, and then there was uh, uh, an exile that happened to the people. And they were taken away from their land. And then after that time was over, this time of great sadness, they were allowed to go back to their land. And one of the people from David's line had, who came back had a son. And then his son had a son, and there were 14 generations. And a man named Joseph was born into that line. And he uh, was married to a woman named Mary who had a son whose name was Jesus. And so this is how that birth happened. They were living in Bethlehem, and Mary found that uh, they were engaged. Joseph and Mary were engaged, and Mary found that she was pregnant, which um, seemed impossible because uh, she was a virgin. Um, and Joseph, you know, obviously kind of thought his fiancée had cheated on him, and so was looking to um, to kind of chuck her but trying to do it in a way which wouldn't embarrass her because at the time, um, at the time, that was something for which you could get uh, stoned or, or at the very least kind of, kind of shamed and shunned from the community. And so Joseph wanted to make sure that didn't happen to him, but uh, an angel appeared to him in a dream and told him that he shouldn't get rid of her. He should uh, adopt the son as his own. And... So Joseph did marry her, and then uh, Jesus was born uh, there in Bethlehem where they lived. And then shortly after, some visitors from another land, some uh, wise men, kind of advisors to the king in another place, uh, who studied the stars and gained wisdom from studying the stars, they came and they visited because they'd seen from their astrological divinations that the king, uh, a king was being born in Israel. And so they went to Jerusalem, and they uh, went to the palace where Herod uh, the king was, and said, where's this new king? And Herod didn't know anything about it, and he was a bit worried about that. So he got in his advisors, 
And they said, well, well, if there is a king being born, we imagine that he'd be born in Bethlehem. That's what the, the, the prophets um, would tell us. And so he, uh, so what Herod said was, go and find this king and come back and tell me, and then I'll go, you know, and I'll worship him. And so the Magi went off and they found uh, Jesus um, with Mary. And they, uh, they bowed down to him uh, as this new king and they worshipped him. And then they gave him gold and frankincense and myrrh. But then they were warned in a dream by an angel not to go back to Herod. Uh, because they, they realized or they were told that uh, Herod was going to wish harm on this child. And so they went back by uh, a circuitous route which avoided Jerusalem. And then Joseph uh, had another dream and the angel appeared to him again and said, look, you're in great danger because Herod is uh, furiously angry and jealous at the idea that there's this new king been, being born. So you need to flee, flee to Egypt to escape from this terrible danger. And sure enough, they, they, they fled and Herod, once he realized a few weeks went by and he realized that the Magi, they weren't coming back and he ordered a genocide. He said all the children under two years old have to be killed to try and uh, make sure that this usurper king wouldn't uh, be able to grow up and take the throne. But Joseph's family were safe in Egypt and after the danger had passed and after Herod had died, they came back and they settled uh, in Nazareth to the north. And that's really the story of Christmas, the true and complete story of Christmas. <coughs> Excuse me. I think not. This is the story. I'm going to steal your water. This is the story of Christmas. Right, I'm on the right side. <laughs> this is the story of Christmas. There was once a man, uh, a priest, named Zechariah, a very old man. And like uh, his ancestor Abraham, uh, he and his wife were too old to have children. They'd never had children. And an angel came and promised them that they would have children. And Zechariah said, no, that can't be right because I'm too old and my wife's too old. This can't possibly be true. And so... Uh, as a result of his unbelief, the angel said, well, your wife is going to have a baby, but until that time, you won't be able to speak because of this unbelief. And that's, uh, that's what happened. Uh, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, but he was unable to talk uh, for, the, for the, that time. And a few months later, another uh, woman found herself pregnant. An angel came to her and said, you're so blessed because you're going to have a baby. And she said, I've not had sex. I don't know, you know, I don't want to explain things to an angel, but, you know, kind of that's not how it works. Uh, and the angel said, no, 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 you, you are. It's, it's God's work. And she said, fine, let, let it be as you have said. And she accepted that responsibility. And shortly afterwards, she, she became pregnant, and shortly afterwards she went to visit uh, her relative, Elizabeth, the same woman as before. And uh, when, as she approached, um, Elizabeth was about uh, six months pregnant at this point, and she felt the baby jump inside her at excitement as uh, uh, the baby, which was in Mary's womb, the kind of two fetuses responded to one another. And so uh, Elizabeth, feeling this, said, Mary, I, uh, kinda, I, I felt this thing, and you're going to be 
blessed and all people are going to be blessed by your child. And Mary sang this wonderful song about how, uh, what a privilege it was to take that part in God's story. And shortly afterwards, uh, Elizabeth had her baby and uh, that baby grew up and took some uh, promises uh, called uh, the promises of the uh, Nazarites, Nazarenes, Nazarites. One of those. Um, look it up. It's in Leviticus. And uh, he went out into the desert and he didn't cut his hair and he became this kind of mystical, uh, prophetic character. And so Mary then goes back uh, to uh, her husband and uh, then there was a census, and which meant they had to travel to Bethlehem where uh, Joseph's family was from, her, her fiancé's uh, family. And so they went there and they found though that because everyone was kind of crowding into town, the there was no room to stay and but someone had a like a cave with some animals in it. it was warm and safe and so they were allowed to sleep there and that's where Jesus was born and they put him in the uh the the feeding trough in that uh stable and outside uh the town there was uh some fields and some shepherds out there and the shepherds they saw in the sky an angel announcing to them that the savior of uh, Israel, the savior of the world, had been born. And so they went and they, they looked for this baby. You know, it wasn't a big town. They probably looked, you know, they might well have looked through kind of several, but they found the baby and they, uh, they, they worshipped this baby. And then they went back to where they were in their field celebrating. They'd been able to see this wonderful thing. And then eight days later, it became time for Jesus to be uh, circumcised, to be kind of committed to, uh, to God and to become part of God's people. And so he went out to the temple and there, there were two uh, elderly people, a man and a woman, uh, who were prophets. And they'd, they believed that they would see the Savior of Israel be born before they died. And when Jesus and Mary came into the temple... They saw the baby and they realized that this long wait was over. And so they prophesied over the baby and Mary. And that, I think you'll find, is the full and complete and true story of Jesus and his birth. <coughs> well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. Look, I think... If we look at the context of Jesus' life and how these stories set up Jesus' lives, so I think we'll be able to see that uh, Jesus' life supports my version of events. You see, the genealogy takes us from Abraham, the founder of the nation, to David, the king of the nation, to the people who are coming back after this redemption in exile. And as we move through Jesus' life, we see that pattern emerging. And, and even the rest of this story supports, supports that. You know, it's, it, Joseph, I think, is the key parent here. Because it's Joseph who gives Jesus his status as a son of David. The kingly line descends through the male. And so Joseph had to formally adopt Jesus for Jesus to be in that line. So it's, it's really key that Joseph accepts Jesus as his son because that's what establishes him as this Davidic king. And uh, that's then reinforced from outside by uh, the, the wise men. They come in and they're like uh, the kind of external uh, examiners. They verify that Jesus is who 
he appears to be, is the king of Israel. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's about, not just about uh, the, being the king of the nation, it's about the establishment of the nation. That's why it's so important that he is in Abraham's line. It's also why you have this, uh, this Egypt episode there, is because Abraham's family, they went into Egypt, just like Joseph's family do here. And in Egypt, just as Jesus um, escapes uh, a genocide by a mad king, so in Egypt, uh, another baby, Moses, escapes a genocide by a mad king. And he grows up and he becomes the lawgiver. And Moses writes these five great books of law. And similarly, we see Jesus give these five teaching blocks. If you look throughout Jesus' life, you see these five teaching blocks where he reestablishes that law and he, he uh, modifies it and he updates it and he kind of corrects uh, some uh, misconceptions which have crept in. And he becomes this new Moses. So it's about not just being the king, but it's about establishing a new kingdom of God. And of course, as we go through the gospel, we see this, uh, this redemption, just as the holy family there, they come after the danger has passed and after this time of great mourning, the family come back and inhabit the land once more. So too, uh, the exiles came back and inhabited the land. And we see that in Jesus. So Jesus embodies this story of Israel, but is also the continuation of that story. And so I think from the point of view of that context, we see that I think my version of events, Luke, is, is supported in that. And I think you'll find that's, um, that context is really important. I mean, I guess... But I think you're really missing the point. I don't disagree with anything you've said there. Because, yes, Jesus is the king in the line of Abraham. And, yes, there is um, this sense that he's uh, the new Moses. And uh, he's certainly the redeemer. You're not getting any argument from me out of that. But I think you've made some crucial errors there. And I want to um, – I think we just need to kind of uh, think a bit more about the deeper meaning of some of this stuff. Look. The first mistake you've made is this is a, fundamentally, this is a story about pregnancy, and you've made it a man's story, and I think that's a real error. We've really got to look at the women's story in all this. And look, you've got the, uh, this Abrahamic figure, this great priest, but he, somehow, he's, he's lost that faith that Abraham, his forefather, had in the exact same situation. Who has the faith in this story? It's a woman with no status, with a, a, a poor woman. And it's her, not the great kind of well-respected priest. It's her who shows the faith in this situation. And we also see, you know, kind of the witnesses of this story. I mean, you've got these kind of wise men coming in, and that's fine. But I'm not, I, I'm not sure that's, you know, Jesus didn't come to save wise men and advisors to kings. Jesus came to save those who were outside. The shepherds were outside the city. And their role as uh, shepherds left them outside the city. And often, you know, they were busy and they couldn't get in to town on uh, holy days. And they couldn't worship when they wanted to. And so they were shunned because they didn't show up to church. But what they were doing was they were outside the city and they were growing food. They were serving the people and yet they were shunned. 
And so they became the first witnesses of Jesus' birth. This isn't a story about kings and about um, wise men. And this is a story about the poor, the outcast. And as we look through uh, the stories of Jesus, we see that time and again in his work. You know, the status he gives to women, the women who supported his ministry. Um, you see all the way through his life. You hear the stories he told, stories of the prodigal son. Oh, I notice you don't actually include, but it's such a good story. And, you know, that story of a, a, a sinner coming back and not being excluded from this kingdom. You have uh, the story of the good Samaritan. The Samaritans were outcast too. And there again, we see them doing the good work of the kingdom, being a neighbor. And so this is, I think the context of the Christmas story is not about kings. It's not about the establishment of a new kingdom. It's about that a bit, but it's really, it's about who is part of that kingdom. The answer is that it's uh, the poor and the outcast. I think we're getting bogged down by this. Let's just think, what are these people going to take away? What are they going to remember in a couple of days' time as they sit down to their dinner of turkey, an animal which, as first century Palestinians, neither of us have heard of? What's the take-home message here? I think, I think you have to look at who the Magi were, not just wise men, not just, uh, not just people who were there to ratify, but people from outside of Israel. We start with Abraham and his family tree. And so that sets the context of this Jewish story, but it's not a story which ends as a Jewish story. It's a story which ends as a global story. And so it's really important to have those Gentiles in this story there. And so what we see as we move through this is that Jesus is this embodiment of Israel. This is a Jewish story. He is the Jewish Messiah. He fulfills all those Jewish prophecies, but that's not where it stops, where it what we end up with, and you look at the end of Jesus' life, the last things we have him saying is, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think that then is what we need to take away from this story. What you have is a story of a, a Jewish story about a Jewish Messiah with impeccable credentials, who's, who is there to save Israel, but that salvation doesn't end at the borders of Israel. That salvation then breaks out and goes into all the world. And I think that's the true meaning of Christmas. No, it's not. The true meaning of Christmas is who's on the outside. The true meaning of Christmas is Jesus came to seek the sinners, those who are excluded, those who are hated, those who are sick. Jesus' whole ministry was about compassion and love and about uh, being the doctor who came to the sick, not to the healthy. And yes, these people are all Gentiles, but they're also, they're all 
they all bring their baggage with them. They're all sinners and they're all bring things along which would separate them from the love of God. And what this story tells us is they're not excluded from that story. And so as we sit down to our Christmas dinners, I feel like the take-home message in all of it is to think who's on the outside. And how do we go and meet them? How do we meet their need? Where would Jesus be in that situation, in that atmosphere of plenty? Where's Jesus looking then? I think that's the true meaning of Christmas. Morning, gentlemen. I'd like to say that uh, this has been an excellent debate, and I think this kind of debate is important in our community, and I'd like to thank you for mostly keeping it civil. Having said that, I think you've both missed the point. Some of you are thinking, where's Mark? Mark's not interested in this stuff. He gets so excited that he just dives straight into the baptism, so he hasn't turned up. So unlike you two, I, uh, I spent a long time thinking uh, about my... I, I waited my whole life to write down my gospel. And no matter how well-researched you were, Lou, no matter how, uh, you know, you were an eyewitness, Matthew, and no one can take that away from you, but I think what you've missed is some of the uh, reflection on the deeper meaning that I was able to do by, by waiting. And I, the conclusion I've come to is that Christmas can be, this nativity story can be summed up in a single word. And it's in your gospel, Matthew, but that word is Emmanuel, God with us. Because this isn't a human story. And yes, it's important who his, Jesus' human parentage was, because Jesus came fully man, but he also came as fully God. And I think what we need to do is not miss the fact that this is a story of incarnation. It's a story about the creator of the universe becoming a created being. And God coming into that little baby was the light. And I think that's why it's important for us to be able to have these kind of debates, because having more than one of these stories allows us to look at the same story from multiple angles. It's like a, a diamond, and as you turn it, you see the light reflected in different ways. And so when Jesus came as the light, he did, Matthew, he did come as the light to all nations. Just as Abraham and David had believed their heirs would one day do. He shone God's light out of Israel into all the world. And yes, he did step into the deepest darkness, Luke. To the people who were so far away from the light and he stood next to them and shone. And he brought that light into their lives. But he also, we have to remember that that light isn't just a human light. That it isn't just 
a, sh a hand on the shoulder. This is a God light. A light which can shine into the deepest darkness and which the darkness will not overcome. And that, that is the true meaning of Christmas. Amen.